WiFi Sci-Fi. WiFi Sci-Fi. WiFi Sci-Fi. What is WiFi Sci-Fi? It's girl in space. Tales of Sage and Savant. The Ninth World Journal. Oz9. Moonbase Theta. Out. It's girl in space. Wi-Fi Sci-Fi. What is WiFi Sci-Fi? Find out at WiFi Sci-Fi dot org. Wi-Fi Sci-Fi. Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who. I am Kyle Jones, and joining me always on this podcast, Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. As always, glad to be on another Discussing Who. And just from the top, I want to give a big shout out to our friends over there on the East Coast, uh, Mr. Lee Shackford and Karen, for sharing an article I did about toxic fandom in Star Trek. So I really appreciate the love they've been showing there on Facebook. So, yeah, I'm happy. I'm ecstatic. Cool. Well, you know, if Lee was here, I might would say he could probably <laughs> speak for himself and respond to that. So why don't we make magic happen and abracadabra. Lee Shackelford, how are you? No comment. <laughs> oh, darn. Come no. on now. All, all my magic energy used to bring you here and no comment? Really? <laughs> waste. What a waste of... Well, here's my thing. It would be great if Lee Shackelford was here and could speak for himself. But you know what? With the power of technology, abracadabra, Lee Shackelford, how are you? Who dares disturb my slumber? I dare. I dare. I Dr. Doom dare. It's an Aladdin joke. Anyway. um, (laughs) But yeah, Dr. Doom certainly would. Uh, Yeah. Well, we, 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 we were, we've just, um, it's funny that I had to listen to our last episode to, uh, was our review of a stolen earth Yes. to, um, to be reminded that Clarence's paper was online and it's on medium.com, which is, um, quite a nice thing. But yeah, um, my, my psychologist, uh, researcher wife and uh, many of her colleagues are reading this article saying, Damn, this is, this is, uh, <laughs> why isn't he in the site doctoral program? So, yeah. Thanks well, for the love. And I said he should be, just so he can be Doc Brown, but yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, all I'm going to say Sorry. is years before this article, I've been telling someone by Doc Brown's name that's on this podcast that he could really write and that he could write yeah. really, really well. And there we go. So. Hmm. Kudos to you. And it's a, it's a, and really the reason why we're talking about this is not only just to embarrass Clarence, but to also <laughs> to, because it is about a really salient topic. And it's funny that, that Karen and I, and I just had no idea that Clarence, that the three of us have all been writing publicly and talking about this right now is this, yeah. this thing about these divisions inside our beloved fandoms and about, the origin of them. I mean, I, I, I wanted to ask Clarence, was this your idea? Or was this on, uh, on medium, a post in the picture of Gollum? <laughs> because, because man, that's it. Yeah. It's mine. You yeah. can't has it. That's- yeah. This, this sense of ownership mm-hmm. 
You know, we've probably had this, you know, inheritance about our fandoms this whole time. But I think the catalyst here for everyone is this thing called the Internet. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And suddenly the world is a smaller place. <laughs> well, yeah, because I, I am because I'm an old man. I was in the Star Trek fandom in the 70s and we conducted all of our discussions through the mail. So if you wanted to fight with somebody, it was like playing, you know, <laughs> shortwave chess with them. You could yeah. say something to somebody and you'd get a response a week later. But, but we had these fanzines, you know, and we would we would write our our comments and we would, you know, they would get printed and then somebody would respond to our our letter and back and forth. And and it didn't happen in a flash wow. the way it does on Twitter these days. But even then, one of my friends from back then reminded me, even back then, as Star Trek fans, we were fighting about whether we were Trekkies or Trekkers. Really? Wow. Absolutely. And this wow. started as early, <laughs> at least I'm aware of it as early as about 1972. He was saying it had started earlier than that. And the idea, once somebody had come up with the name Trekker, they were saying, hey, Trekkie is what the, the newspaper people who think we're stupid were calling us. Oh, so let's, no. let's, let's come up with a name that owns how intelligent and sophisticated and discerning we are. We are Trekkers. If you want to call yourself a Trekkie, you oh, can. Wow. Oh, and wow. then all the people who call themselves Trekkies said, where do you get off? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So yeah. there it was from the very beginning. That is crazy. And I think if I were to kind of uh, frame like what made me want to do this, first of all, uh, some of my friends over Rally Breached have done a similar talk on some of our um, uh, Mississippi Comic Con panels. But I think when I, well, I know for a fact, like when I actually did this, this, this uh, article is based off a speech that I did at Nerd Night Memphis. And I, I prefaced that speech with saying, you know, the thing that has given me hope for the fandom whatever fandom it is, insert fandom here. Uh, people like you, people like Cal, people like Matthew Tunich, who have been around much longer in the fandom than I have, but have been liaisons to usher me into the fandom and not, you know, not just kind of this negativity that you hear so much on the internet. So I think for even the newer Trek people who've come on for discovery, you know, I oh, I kind of put myself in that place of using my knowledge as as something that can bring them in and not be negative. But, you know, I think as we do on this podcast, we come from a positive point of view and we want to usher people in and give them a different perspective like you guys do all the time with classic that I might not have. And I think that's what makes the fandom great. People who have been around a little bit longer who can give you a different perspective and we can have these awesome discussions like we do on this podcast about it so i that that's that's something that i hope changes over time and maybe the internet can, <laughs> can be steered just ever so slightly to um be a little bit more positive be a force for good yeah. <laughs> so you know what that was beautifully said though i yeah. think we're done for tonight aren't we <laughs> yeah, but you know what <laughs> discussing who is brought, brought to, to you by, by. <laughs> exactly but no you know i want to segue into something that i wanted to speak about as being part of our news item and i think it would segue great from what you just said about hoping that fandom can instead of being always toxic can slide more to the positive because I've been reading a lot in the last week, and I almost brought it up in our last recording, but I 
did not, but I've been reading more since then. And what I'm talking about is Christopher Eccleston has recently released a yep. book and he talks about specifically his departure from Doctor Who and some things that were going on in his personal life during that time period. And in this book, he says one of the reasons that he had such a negative feeling toward Doctor Who and the BBC was that when he left, that the agreement was that he would get to release his own statement and someone at the BBC and the um, PR department released, you know, saying that he was leaving because he was tired. Well, you tackle, you know, you put together what was going on in his personal life and you put together this statement. And I can see why that probably highly ticked him off. Flash forward to about a year ago, several episodes back, we were talking about Christopher Eccleston going to his first Doctor Who convention, and he's made several appearances since then. And he has stated, and I wish I had a direct quote or a direct reference, but he's recently stated that the Doctor Who fandom has been very healing to him. And that is nice to hear that... You know, we aren't seeing toxicity. We aren't seeing negative. We aren't seeing whatever you want to say, fill in the blank, but that this man is able to say, these people are helping heal a part of me. Yeah, I was hoping you that's where you're going with this, because that's the best news I've read this week. That, and specifically, a lot of his stuff was about body image, which I think is fascinating, because um, among the actors I know, I think of that as being so much a thing uh, for for women. And you, you look at Christopher Eccleston, you think, really? The whole time you were making this, you, you were the ninth doctor, you were worried about whether or not you were fat? Really? Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's diagnosed, he said that he's got a diagnosis of, you know, full-blown anorexia. And, and, you know, that's all about this skewed perception of what, how you appear. And for him, that was like carrying this, um, well, um, social psychologist, um, uh, Brene Brown, she calls uh, perfectionism the the fifty pound shield. You know, it protects you, but it's exhausting to carry it. And so when he said he was tired, you know, I think that's what he's talking about. And now he's realizing we loved him, you know, no matter what. Yeah. And, and for him to be get in the same room with people who are shaking his hand, asking for his autograph, and telling him that to his face. It has been it has been a revelation, and apparently he's just opening like a flower now and saying, "This is, you know, this fandom is going to save him." Which is how beautiful is that? Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it it's a good reminder, as positive. And I'm, I'm I'm literally talking to myself here, so I'm not trying to lump you into what I'm about to say, Lee. But mm. you know, Clarence was making reference a moment ago about you and I giving positivity. Well, I'm also gu guilty sometimes of negativity because I've thought of Eccleston in the sense of, well, oh, I wish that he would have been on the, the 50th anniversary special. Oh, I wish sure. that you yeah. know, Chibnall would have done more episodes and had more episodes. I wish, and you even last week, Lee, made a comment saying, well, it's not just Chibnall. You know, there's a lot of other moving parts than than just, you know, Chris Chibnall. But I think it's so easy for us to get narrow minded as a fan and, and seeing it as that me that 
this story and something like that, coupled with Clarence's article and information like that, just kind of makes us knowledgeable of the bigger picture. And sometimes we need that. It's so true. So true. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So I think there, there, there was some other big news this week, wasn't there? I wanted to talk about Christopher Eccleston kind of coming out about his anorexia and about how fans had saved him. There was something else this week. Am I nuts? Sorry, well, we those, those are two are separate nuts, questions. But, yeah, uh, those are, yeah. That's a <laughs> given. I didn't mean to cloud the issue with a separate question. Something else. What else about Doctor Who this week? Well, you know what? If you think I'll of think it, about it later. Yeah. Then, then we'll just say, hey, you know, breaking hey. news. Lee remembered. Mm, that's right. But you know we'll what? Bring we, in the teletype noise. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But you know what we do know? That uh, it's time for the spoiler warning. Absolutely. So. If you have not seen this episode, and what is this episode? I haven't said yet. It is the next Doctor from the 2008 Christmas special. So if you have not seen the next Doctor, put us on pause. Go out. Watch the episode. Come back. Because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review the next Doctor. This is the 2008 Doctor Who Christmas special, airing on the 25th of December, 2008, in the the UK. It starred David Tennant as the 10th Doctor, who is joined by uh, David Morris. Say it for me. Morrissey. Thank you. Morrissey. As Jackson Lake. And there has been some speculation, Lee. So there's a question I want to start off even before we get to summary view. You said during the part that we edited out that <laughs> this was not a Christmas special. So elaborate. Because I'm full of it. Well, because if you go to IMDb, it says that it was released in June. And that's because it was released in the U.S. in June. Bingo. So at least according to them, we had to wait six months. I don't remember that, but that may have been because my son and I saw it through other means. Yes. So (laughs) the the Kyle saw it through other means. Okay. But you are correct. This was about the time that sci-fi channel in the U.S. was losing its rights to carry the Doctor Who broadcast because I believe (laughs) that... um, they started airing. Actually, it was this that aired on BBC America in June. And it was during that time that the Sci-Fi Channel lost, you know, their, their bid to renew the rights to Doctor Who. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the end of time parts one and two were the first that were broadcast on the same day as they aired in the UK. Ah, interesting. So, summary view, and let's start with Lee's, I mean, blah, 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 I want to go back to Clarence. So, summary view, let's start off, Clarence, what do you think? Summary view. I don't know, if this didn't, didn't air in Christmas, I'd say it was a tragedy, because the governor, uh, David Morrissey, was awesome in this episode. <laughs> That's okay, right. Walking Dead fans. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, the governor, um... Yeah, I love this episode. I thought it was fun. I loved how he actually thought he was the doctor, which we'll get into. Um, yeah, this is a fun Christmas question mark episode. 
<laughs> okay. Well, so, guys. Lee, what did you say? <laughs> well, uh, watching it again, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I, although I had the same misgivings about the ending that I did uh, back when it originally aired, and um, and I also remembered that. Um, as you were experiencing uh, uh, him as uh, being the governor, at the time I was just relieved because I was under the misapprehension that uh, the next doctor was going to be the singer-songwriter Morrissey from the Smiths. <laughs> I, I wasn't familiar with that. <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> and you know, I thought, hey, you know, Billy Piper was a pop star. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. it's you know, anything's possible, but um. Yeah, it's not him. So, yeah, but uh, I, there's so much that I love about this, and I can't wait to talk about it. All right. So, for how about me, you? So, for me, it, it, it was kind of bittersweet watching this again. There were things that I liked about it watching it the first time, but this guy is an amazing actor. But I could not get out of my head that he is the governor, and I kept seeing all the bad things that he did on The Walking Dead, and that jaded my appreciation for Jackson Lake. But that said, he did do a good job, and I remember watching this proper when it quote unquote aired and watching it through wondering, is this the next doctor? Because I really believe going into it that I'm meeting the next doctor before the current doctor regenerates yeah. into him. You know, we were really, we were really meant to. So that's going to be my first question to you guys. You know, this to me played off as a who done it or who didn't do it or is he or isn't he? And I remember watching it thinking, is this the doctor? And then trying to put the pieces together and mm, maybe not. So Clarence, when did you first realize at what point that this next doctor was not the doctor? Uh, I think I immediately knew, <laughs> but, but that being said, the fun of it was seeing David Tennant try to figure it out for himself. Because, of course, if it's a future version of himself, he doesn't know what he looks like. But he is trying, as the story goes on, well, I guess it happened in, in a relatively short time span, where he's trying to figure out if this guy knows who he is. And, you know, it's all behind this mystery that he's lost his memory. So that makes it it makes it fun as well. So I, I, I just love that mystery and, and the eventual reveal. But but yeah, I I immediately knew that nah, there was something weird going on here. Okay. What about you guys, <laughs> Lee? What what do you think? I'm trying to remember because of course I, I saw it back when, and I'm trying to remember. I I, I was completely taken in by that uh, that teaser, and I really thought as we went into the opening titles that we were seeing this was the uh, we're going to do a unique transition of doctors where he's actually going to meet his future self before the regeneration happens. Uh, and I was also excited about the fact they were in Victorian England, uh, kind of a Dickensian England, that, um, which is a period of history that I'm fascinated by. And I just loved, I thought maybe, maybe the doctor's going to be here for a while. I don't know, you know? Mm. So I, I just got real interested in all that stuff. So, um, but, um, yeah, I, I was willing to buy it. And, and it, it, you remember the timing that David Tennant's announcement that he was leaving the series had just been made public. Oh. And then they aired this episode that is called The Next Doctor. And <laughs> and watching it again, 
you know, in preparation for our discussion tonight, I realized there's no other reason to call it the next doctor other than to do that that wham wham on the audience that this is you know that doesn't have anything to do with the story at all. No. Yeah. And and devoid of that context, that makes it feel very different for me, you know. Not seeing that trailer and not hearing that news upon my first time watching this, you know, I yeah. just it just felt like another episode to me. You know? Right. But, yeah. Yeah, we were we were all deliberately misled by this. And uh, and then when we find out what's really going on, it was quite exciting because we thought, oh, OK, now we don't know who the next doctor. We still don't know. This is fun. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the way I. Thought. Yeah. You know, and I, I took it the same way. I went into it knowing that he was leaving and knowing that there's a regeneration coming. And uh, hello, the next doctor. It's like, yeah, you know, it's so, quote unquote, obvious but obviously it wasn't. I think where I realized there was something wrong was the name of the companion I thought was too much of a coincidence. As <laughs> it was on the nose. Yeah, it was so on the nose that yeah. that just that was the thing that just made me immediately start questioning what's wrong here. Mm-hmm. You know, Um but let's talk about Rosita and the fake doctor or the other doctor. Let's not call him fake. Let's call him the other yeah. doctor. How well do you think they played off of each other and how that story progressed? Either one of you. How well do you think they played off of each other and how the story progressed? I remember being disappointed with Rosita to begin with. And I don't know if that colored my view this time, but I, I kind of had the same feeling again that she's there for us to observe and comment on what the role of the doctor's companion always is i mean the first thing that gets said about her is you know the the next doctor complains to the 10th doctor you know she's always you know calling me out like that and and the doctor says yeah they do that don't they um but really apart from that she doesn't have a lot to do with the story she's not she's not integral and and i realize there's a lot of other things going on but I don't know. But what, what, what did you guys think? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think my view is slightly different because in some ways it seemed like she was more independent than the next doctor was. Um, and I say that in the sense of she is the one who saves them from the uh, cyber monkey. I don't know what he's called. I'm sorry. <laughs> they call them cyber shades. And I don't know. Cyber shades. <laughs> uh, she saves the, the two doctors from that. That's um, true. And and also I've, I I had a moment when, you know, he realizes he's not the doctor and he sends Rosita along with David Tennant just because he knows she he needs a companion. And I, I don't know. I just like that. I, I thought she was fun. But, you know, again, to your point, Lee, she didn't serve a lot as far as the. Uh, serve a lot to the story as far as that goes. So I found watching her. So I'm somewhere in the middle of what the two of you said. Um, I found what wasn't said more so of notice than what was said. And what I mean by that is she did come across as self-sufficient 
And you go back and you look at the age that it's in, and we've made references to Martha, we've made references to Bill, and we've seen the age that she's in, and she's obviously able to hold her own, and regardless of, you know, how she looks or, you know, what age she's in, they don't bring up any of that, and she's her own character. That I like. I just wish that they would have gone away from the hint that he's not the real doctor by the Rosita name. You could have come up with any other name. I think Mm -hmm. it cheapened the character by naming her Rosita. That's, I think that's a good point. And and that if there's a sort of dawning moment on you where you think, has he reached out for this woman because he's kind of confused that she's Rose or that she's Martha? And so, you know, that's why. So that's, but um, I don't know. But yeah, Rosie, it's just, it is. It's just on the nose. So that yeah. actress, by the way, is Valili Shabalala. How's that for a name? Valili Shabalala. <laughs> so. but, but you know what, Lee? I think you're 100% right. Because if mm-hmm. he is trying to interpret these memories that are not his, he did indeed reach out to her because her name was Rosita, perhaps. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. You know, so you're when he right heard in that. that. He said, "Aha, yeah." You know, I found her. And, and, and yeah, I'll just add to the. I, I think it's a bold, bold choice to make it a Af, uh, not African American, but a black woman. <laughs> um, yeah. In in this case, though, it seems in light of the newer series that it just seems strange that it's not really addressed at all. And she's probably the only black person on the episode <laughs> in the yeah, times that we're in. Yeah. Well, and she's she's showing a shoulder, which ladies in Victorian yeah. England in the 1850s did not do. And Miss Hardigan says he isn't just paying you to talk. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, just, yeah, I, I think we we, we she's she's uh, yeah. I think I think she's our first official hooker in the. <laughs> well, which is funny because um, the four. Um, guys, I cannot remember their names, but mm. um, they call Miss Hardigan a, a harlot. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's yeah, right. She's there wearing a red dress at the funeral. Yeah, what must they think of Rosita? Yeah, yeah, and you know what? That really stood out to me. The 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 point that they make of not only is it so you know untoward for a woman to be at a funeral, but that the fact that you've got on a red dress on top of it. Yeah. yeah, crazy times. Yeah. Incidentally, talking about actors, one of the things I loved about this episode was that I thought of it as the one with Miranda Richardson, who is an actress that I just adore. That's not Miranda Richardson. <laughs> okay. I thought it was. So she I'm really, gonna, she really closely resembles her, but no, it's, it's Dervia Kerwin. Yeah. So I'm going to make you feel really good there because until good. I watched this Sunday and uh-huh. was reviewing this and I'm looking at the credits and I'm going, yeah, that's not the lady from Black Adder. No, no, but doesn't she resemble her? It's she amazing. Absolutely it? does. And yeah. I, until Sunday, all these years, I thought that Miranda Richardson was in Doctor Who well, in this episode. But it wasn't just me. <laughs> nope, nope, it wasn't just. So I want to talk about Jackson Lake, and particularly when the Doctor told him Jackson 
that he was not the doctor and revealed that he was, he being the doctor, really the doctor. And we see with this imprint, memory imprint stamp that the Cybermen had, we see the faces of all of the known doctors, you know, one through ten, and you see them in consecutive order. So, Lee, question, when you saw that in that montage, what went through your head? How? What was that experience? Oh, I, I remember that my son and I were both punching the air because, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time in New Who that we've seen the faces of previous doctors. You are one million and one percent correct. Wow. So even though we knew definitely the others had been established as canon, you know, we, we haven't changed the canon, right? But this is the first time that we really nailed it down. David Tennant is William Hartnell. <laughs> this is the same person, just look, you know, and, uh, and I thought that was just, uh, I was so, and I remember thinking, are they going to show Paul McGann? Are they going to show, but there yes. he is. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So mm. I didn't see a war doctor in there. I'm just saying. Mm, nope. no. <laughs> I forgot about him. Totally. You know, yeah. I hit him. He's hidden away in there. We just uh, missed who? that. Yeah. 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 So what about you, Clarence? When you saw that, how was that experience for for you coming in from the New Ho perspective? You know, I can't really remember how I felt at the time. Um, I probably thought it was cool at the time as well. But I just think as you fast forward to, to today, how many times we like go back and revisit and even see a, <laughs> the first doctor in an actual episode. Um, yeah, it just feels so different seeing it now, but I can imagine seeing that for a first time, you know, even with the history that you guys have with the franchise, because even even, you know, if I think about my first time watching it, I probably thought it was, was cool. But yet and still, I didn't have the history with those with those different incarnations as as you guys did. So for me, I'm going to, you know, go more on the line that uh, Lee went and instead of, you know, punching in the air, I just can remember I was like grinning from ear to ear. And I would say in parts of importance in Doctor Who 2005 forward, important number, you know, if I were to give three things up to this point, I would say important number one was the episode of Rose because A, that brought, you know, Doctor Who back. And number two, Sarah Jane and school reunion. And then number three, I would say this particular episode simply because of connecting and seeing those faces. And I will second what you said, Lee, about Paul McGann, because there, I think in fandom, there had been some, oh, he really wasn't, you know, the eighth doctor. That doesn't count because, you know, it was technically part done by Fox in the uh, U.S., so it really wasn't Doctor Who. Yes, he really yeah. was Doctor Who. <laughs> Getting back to toxic phantoms yeah. for a second, yeah, <laughs> that we wanted to fight about Paul again. And I remember at the time that one of the reasons why we claimed that the Doctor in the TV movie couldn't be canon was because he kissed his companion. <laughs> <laughs> L- little did we know, yes. <laughs> Spoilers. Yes. <laughs> So was was it that from New Who there was this idea that maybe it's an altered timeline and maybe the previous canon didn't stick up until this point? 
Um, I'm t- no, no, just that we were going to ignore it and move on. Okay. Hmm. And school reunion obviously had had done a, had gone a long way to to saying that's not so yeah you know but yeah. because we not we had Sarah Jane and K nine <laughs> but um, yeah. but really that's that's about it I mean I mean even the interior of the TARDIS you know a lot of us wondered in rows when we went inside for the first time or or did we ever go inside in rows yeah we did. Um, yeah, if if it was going to be white in there and it wasn't, <laughs> so we're like, woo. But anyway, yeah. All I can say is praise Moffat. That's all I'm going to say because <laughs> you know he 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 gives us a lot of those things. But uh, for yeah. for at least in this point, I, I I I was so happy to see you know Paul McGann and my my argument always when someone would say oh well you know he really shouldn't be counted is well if he shouldn't be counted neither should Sylvester McCoy because he was in that movie too and you see them regenerate so that's a very good point so but you know he may not have been the doctor that we were expecting perhaps but neither was <laughs> Jackson Lake so what did you guys think of this character of Jackson Lake, the person, not Jackson Lake thinking he's the doctor, but this latter part of the story where Jackson Lake realizes, oh, well, I'm Jackson Lake and bad things happen. To it's, it's a great performance, I think. I just he, he has to go all over the map emotionally and he really invests in it. And it's so and, and I love that the script has the doctor point out to him. Okay, you're not the doctor, but you're still amazing. And, and it's true. The things that we've seen him do, not being a Time Lord, you know, uh, makes you wonder what the rest of us would do if we thought we were Time Lords. Um, he is. He's just an incredible person. And I loved his doctor. I, I, it does make you wish that he really was going to be the, the next doctor. Mm. That's what I think, anyway. What do you think? Okay. Clarence, what about you? I think what's incredible about his character in this story is that, uh, for all intents and purposes, <laughs> he has the doctor's memories. He, he thinks he's the, well, he doesn't have his, does he have, he has a version of the doctor's memories because he actually doesn't have his memories, but he has what the Cybermen have collected of the doctor. Yeah. Uh, so well, he knows he has a TARDIS and a companion and a sonic yeah. screwdriver, and he knows that he's a Time Lord, and he, you know, he, <laughs> and that he's awesome. <laughs> and obviously, he's doing something right because we find out he's very wealthy um, in the story. And I don't know, I, 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 as far as him as a character, again, like Lee said, he does some pretty cool things to have a real screwdriver and not be a real doctor, <laughs> and makes a noise. Yeah, so I know I, I don't know how to frame it, but I, I really enjoyed seeing him. Uh, and I, it's it's kind of hard for me to separate Jackson Lake from the him trying to be the Doctor, because really the only bit that we see of him being himself is when he really connects to his son like in the latter half of the the story. So I don't know if I can separate the two because I feel like from the entire episode I saw him as this guy playing like. <laughs> He's the doctor to the best of his abilities. I don't know. What about you, Cal? So for me, you know, I was kind of torn between who is Jackson Lake as the person and the fact of, 
I thought it was a little bit too soon to have the doctor's memories instead of a metacrisis where it's literally you physically something happens to you where you absorb the doctor's memories and mind to having, for lack of a better word, photocopied onto your, um, you know, and are etched a little badly etched memories onto you know, so the Donna story versus him, I thought was a kind of similar, but enough different to where I felt like I'm seeing this guy and he knows facts and he's doing his best trying to understand what it is that he can't quite explain. And I kind of find that very interesting. And what I mean by that is he knows he's sp- supposed to have this traveling machine so he gets his own version of the TARDIS he gets you know he rationalizes I've got a screwdriver and it's sonic well it's sonic because I can hit it and it makes a noise you know so I I don't know and I I know I'm not really answering my own question there but I did find him to be a very interesting character yeah and you make an excellent point about what we just saw happen to Donna and now we have like the opposite happening to happen to this new character <laughs> where he's getting memories that wasn't ever his. But I think what's interesting about this is the fact that he loses his own, his own memories and that along with the callous of losing his uh, wife and possibly his son puts him in a state to where he believes he is his character. And I think it just sets up a beautiful story for a lot of fun. Cool. I mean, in, in tragedy. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 you know, sometimes they say, to, you know, Lee, you can attest to this. Sometimes your best stories come from tragedy, tragedies, right? Absolutely. So let's talk about the person, Mrs. Uh, Hardigan, 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 and the Cyberman, because we really kind of danced around the Cyberman, but we obviously see the Cyberman in there, and these are, from Pete's world, Cybermen that fell out of the void, fell here to this time period. And what did you guys think of this big Godzilla-like metal monster Cyberman? Clarence, why don't you take that one first? What did you think of big, huge metal monster Cyberman? Uh, are we in Japan? Go, go, Power Rangers? Uh, I don't know. I thought it was awesome to have a bit of Iron Giant and, <laughs> and some Doctor Who. I, I loved it. I loved it. And for the time, I think it looks pretty decent on screen. I mean, it's, it's oh, not, yeah. uh, it's not the latest movies. What's the movie that came out with the Kaiju? I can't remember the name of the movie. It, it's, it's not that, but I think for the time, it looks pretty decent. Uh, it wasn't expected at all. I really did not expect it at all. But when you think of the whole arc of the Cyberman in this story and eventually coming to this giant mech robot thing, cyber, what they call cyber king, uh, I really would have liked more backstory on who Hardigan was. I don't, maybe I just missed it, but I don't feel like we got a clear sense of why she was even helping the Cyberman other than wanting to be powerful, you know, like all villains do. So I, I don't know. Mm. Lee, what do you think? Uh, that's a really good point, Clarence. That we, we accept that she's the bad guy because she sort of says that she is and she says all the bad guy things. But yeah, how did that happen? Yeah. And, and 
that may have been in an earlier version of the script where it got it got cut as we went along. But no, my big problem with the with the episode, as cool as the kaiju Cyberman is to look at, it's just I I, I just think it's a silly <laughs> idea, and, it, and it's silly in a way that 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 goes. I mean, I, I realize that the series is silly and. This episode is maybe sillier than most because it's for Christmas. But holy Hannah, this, this thing. Well, for one thing, we see him in proportion to like a, a St. Paul's and, and, you know, places that I know in London. So it's got to be like 500 feet tall. So, uh, yeah, how is that even <laughs> supposed to work? So I. And, and of course, when we're done with this, and we're going to have the same problem with the light with the Statue of Liberty later, I may say, nobody remembers this? Yeah. 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 I agree with that. I agree with Why that. Why didn't we get the, we didn't get this in British history the night that the 500 foot tall statue that disappeared over a, London? Yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> because somebody from a balloon shot him with a magic ray. That would change everything. It would change world history. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I mean, because if we stepping on, on, you know, whole city blocks, I mean, you couldn't deny that those people are dead and those buildings are gone, you know? Yeah. Know. Hmm. And, and, and apparently 15 minutes of the kids working in the uh, dungeon was enough to power this thing. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. By the way, IMDB says that that is a redress of the Torchwood Hub set. What? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they didn't build that. Uh, they didn't build the uh, cyber workhouse for the kids. That is a that is a redress of the Torchwood Hub. Interesting. Wow. Now it makes and me want to go back and look at it again. Are, yeah, yeah. Once I read that, I said I need to. Yeah, I need to go look at that. There are certainly things that people write on IMDb that are just plain wrong, but you know. Hmm. Anyway, just thought I'd toss that into the. Into the fire. Well, just an uh, an interesting thing since we're talking about the big cyber robot. I read during research for this episode that RTD regretted how it ended with the gun that the doctor did some kind of void that it sent it into. That he yep. wished that he would have written it to where when um, she turned or realized what she had done, that she would have somehow made the entire robot disappear or to blow up or something as opposed to just falling over and him putting them into a void somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, the, the, the cyber King controller needs to be like a Davros's lab. that has a big button that says destroy, destroy everything. everything. Yes. So, yeah. She, she needed one of those. So, so was it that the doctor destroyed her and she in turn destroyed everything else? Or I'm a little confused on that because I think what's especially cruel about that last moment with, uh, Miss Hardigan is that like it's, it, the doctor gives her realization of what she's done moments before she has no say in the matter. That just feels especially cruel for some reason. Mm. No. See, I took it almost the different way. I, t- I saw that more so as he made her realize everything that she was doing, consciously doing, and sh- I took it as she was the one that blew them and herself up. Okay, that could be the case. Lee, what do you think? How well, did that's you how I read that too. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah that, that's how I read that too. Exactly. Hmm. 
That makes more sense. <laughs> so I'm curious as to how you guys interpreted, and, and let me preface and say that I ter- interpreted this differently on this watch through than I did the first time seeing it. The point where Jackson gets up on the, you know, pole and says, bravo, doctor. This man has done all these great things. Bravo. And all the people are clapping and you see the 10th doctor looking down. Thoughts on that before I give my opinion. Either of you. Uh, I'll go first. Like for some reason, it felt highly inaccurate because he said that it's the first time the doctor has ever been given any thanks or congrats or anything like that. So. I can't name a specific instance, but it seems like I've seen where he's been thanked before. Maybe not by a whole city or a whole group of people, but certainly um, I've seen the doctor been been given th- thanks for what he's done before. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Jackson should remember that Martha inspired the whole planet yes. to thank him. Uh, but but he's right. He doesn't get the kind of the awards ceremony kind of thing, and, mm. you know. And it was it was a nice moment. Hooray! Hooray for the doctor! Hooray! So here's my thought. I thought on this watching, you know, and time removed and et cetera and so forth. I didn't think that this particular scene watching at this time, I think it had zero percent to do with the doctor. My impression of watching at this time was, thank you, David Tennant. Bravo. You have done a fantastic job as the doctor. Mm. Bravo. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I, it does work both ways, doesn't it? So. Considering if you put it in the context of what we were talking about earlier and the naming and knowing of when it happened in the behind the scenes of Doctor Who, this to me says bravo, David Tennant. Not like he doesn't deserve bravo, David Tennant. He obviously completely does. All right. So, guys, before we move on, do you have any other things that we have not talked about? Either of you, anything that you wanted to bring up before we get to our favorite scene? Silence falls. Yes, silence yeah. falls. I feel I feel like there was something else, but if I can't think of it, then <laughs> then we should move on. All right. So let's move on to our favorite scene. So I'll start the, since I'm always asking you guys. I'll start this time. My favorite scene is something we've already talked about: the faces. So there we go. Favorite scene for me: the faces. Lee, what say you? Favorite scene? Well, I'm, 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 I guess I'm glad you said it because, uh, that's mine too. I just, I just love that so much. Um, and it's funny because it isn't really pertinent to the story per se, but I, I did. I just really loved that moment <laughs> so very much. So yeah, that, that is, that's my favorite little, little thing in this, in this episode. Awesome. So Clarence Brown. What say you? Favorite scene? Mm, I think mine would have to be the reveal of the TARDIS in this episode because it felt like a buildup because, oh, my God, this dude's been acting like he's a doctor with no real clue who the doctor is other than these memories that he's obtained from the Cyberman. And what is his TARDIS going to look like? <laughs> and and wow, it's a hot air balloon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could, you know, maybe see that working. And what's even further, I'm going to put that against the other 
um, uh, position of the tethered area release development and style is when he gets to actually <laughs> go into the real TARDIS and just, it's just too much for him. It's just yeah. too much for him. Yeah. So great. So great. As it would be, you know? Hmm. All right. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that, Clarence, because if that isn't actually my favorite thing, and I, I mentioned it to Kyle earlier, that that's certainly my, my runner up because I just, because <laughs> we, we were, we were anticipating. He keeps saying he has a TARDIS. And I thought it was going to be a box of some kind, <laughs> but that's not how he remembers. He doesn't remember what it looks like. He remembers what it does. Right. Yeah. And, and again, just, your brain trying to make sense of this insensible thing that he's mm-hmm. remembering. Yeah. All yeah. right. Favorite quote. So, Lee, I'll start with you this time. Favorite quote. What was your favorite quote? It's it's a real interesting coincidence. Uh, we just did uh, Genesis of the Daleks last week. And I was really struck by this silly moment where Davros, who has created the Daleks to be pitiless, realizes that he needs to beg them for mercy. And he says, have you no pity? <laughs> well, we all know what the answer is. He said and the, the Dalek says that He said the wrong word. Mercy. And here, you, that's right. And here, and, and here it is in uh, the next doctor as well. Miss yeah. Hardigan, who knows the Cybermen very well, she says, have you no pity when they're about to kill her, of course. And uh, the Cyberman says, correct. Correct. I love that. Oh, man. So All right. Clarence, what say you? Favorite quote? Uh, mine is going to be right back in what, to what my favorite scene was, which is the what TARDIS stands for in Jackson <laughs> Lake's case. Again, tethered yeah. area released, developed in style. Okay, so for me, my favorite quote actually comes almost to the very end. And for some reason, I don't know, just watching it yesterday or Sunday, I was just having a ball. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, wow, that was just really, really well played because that was really sad, David Tennant. So it's when the doctor says they leave because they should. Or they find someone else, and some of them, some of them forget me. I suppose in the end, they break my heart. And I don't know, just the way he delivered that line was just very, very deep, you know, so. It's perfect. Yeah, it is. It's a perfect, perfect little speech. Yes. So, final rating, one to five. Clarence, why don't you start this one? One to five. What would you give as the final rating for this episode? Mm, I'm going to drop it at like a 4.2. I really enjoyed it, had fun, but wasn't my favorite episode. And I really can't just say anything I hated about it. But, <laughs> um, I I don't know. I had fun with it. Uh, why am I landing it at 4.2 other than the five? <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't the best episode, but I did have a lot of fun with it. And I, you know, the governor, you know, it's <laughs> great. episode. <laughs> All right. So Lee Shackelford, what say ye? I would give it to 4.2 as well, uh, for a lot of the same reasons. I, I, I have a compulsion as a screenwriter to always be looking at what time it is when I'm watching something because I want to know where we are in the percentages. Because yeah, uh, anyway, there was a point in this story where I said, I am loving this. We have got to be at the 75% mark. And I looked and it was 50%. Hmm. And I thought, oh, boy, (laughs) wow, there's another half hour of this. And I, I, you know, and I thought, I don't know what they're going to do for the next half hour. And what we do for the next half 
power, of course, is transformers. So I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so there's so much that I love about this, but yeah, four point two. How about you? Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to break what's already working, so I'm going to say four point two because I'll echo what the two of you just said. I give it such a high rating, honestly, because of my like of the faces and seeing the faces as a standalone story. I don't know if I would go back and watch this that often. And I even with the faces now, thanks to all the Moffatisms that we later get, I don't really <laughs> even watch this that often. The actors played the scenes brilliantly. There's it has nothing to do with the acting the story could have been a little bit better for all the things that we've said. But honestly, there are some other Christmas specials that I am least, you know, less excited over than this one. So I'm going to give it 4.2 easily. All right, gentlemen, I think it's time to wrap up. So my next question has to be Clarence Brown. If anyone was looking to find you elsewhere on the Internet, where might they look? I'll just say head on. Over. Yeah, excuse me. I'll say head on over to Facebook, search for groups and look for discussing network where we have a group where it's a place to come and talk about all things geek. So if you have Facebook installed on your phone, pull us up and, you know, drop us a line. Awesome. Awesome. Lee Shackelford, what about you? These days, I'm pointing people towards the address Wi-Fi Sci-Fi dot O-R-G. Big project that we got going on and I want everybody to go have a look at it. And while you're there, you'll find a link to Relativity Sci-Fi Serial for your ears and mind. So there you go. What about you, sir? All right. I would also point others who are friends of our show that also like comic books or sci-fi related content or comic book superhero related content, go over to discussing comics. Clarence and I recently did an episode with our fellow co-host Ron Stevens from the Extremely Geeked Out podcast. And we were talking about Titans from DC Universe. And of course, Ron and I have been talking about House and Powers of X and 10 with the X-Men. And I am absolutely having a ball with that story. So discussingcomics.com. So gentlemen, thank you for joining me on yet another episode. Very much appreciate it. And as always, for everyone listening, thank you for joining us. We will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre. They've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song, and they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant, the list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. 
And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audibletrial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that?